Here they come! Hello, and welcome to episode 59 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average, or duff. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and today it's a family affair as I'm joined by my brother Kevin to discuss the effects in the opening episode of H.R. Puffin Stuff. Five. We're on express elevator to hell, going down. Two. One. Hello, Kevin. Hello, brother of mine. Hello. Fancy meeting you here. (laughs) It's been so long. Yeah, (laughs) yes. Right, a bit of background to this week's episode. Um, A while back, we had a show devoted to Lost in Space, and Tim and I, we were talking about how the aliens in that sequence, uh, they look like something out of HR Puff and Stuff. And after that, that got me thinking about, oh, maybe that might be an idea one day to do an episode on, you know, what goes on in that show. And of course, then on Christmas Day, you and I, we were talking about uh, this show and it was you who suggested featuring it, wasn't it? Yeah, I believe I I blackmailed you emotionally and said, please, please do puff and stuff to which you went only if you come and join in. That's not how I remember it. I remember you saying, please, please, and I was resistant until a tear fell out from out the corner of your eye. I couldn't possibly comment. All right, move on. All right, so <laughs> HR Puff and Stuff, we've never really talked about it much over the years, but it's obvious that um, um, it was a long time ago when this show came out, and um, I'm guessing for both of us it's been indelibly printed on our brains, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. If you would ask me my earliest memory, uh, I, I must have been really small. Uh, I mean, as far as I can see, it hit our shores early 1970, but I would have been three then. And mm. with the best will in the world, I don't think my memory stretches back that far. So I'm going to assume I remember a rerun or two. Um, and you and I laughing uncontrollably at, at, at one certain female character. Well, that, that that's not exactly um, an en- enigmatic response because there really is only one female character <laughs> in this show. I don't know, Judy the Frog, Judy the Frog. Oh, oh yeah, I've forgotten about Judy. <laughs> we'll, we'll be talking about Judy the Frog, and there's a reason I've I've blanked Judy the Frog. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm I'm like you. I mean, I'm four years older than you, so I you would think I would remember it a bit more. But no, it was just there. I can't remember whether it was ITV that showed it. I can't remember whether it was BBC. I like you say I don't know if there that there were repeats, but it was it was just there and it was one of those strange shows because back in those days there were no well we certainly didn't have TV guides, did we? There were no books on the subject. You just flicked through the channels on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning, found something and started watching it. Yeah, absolutely. And and I I've trawled back trying to find trace of it it was itv oh was it um yeah but uh, as, as we know it, in the uk itv was a bunch of regional companies and different ones kind of bought different programs so 
I've managed to find a, a website where you can look at old TV Times episodes. Uh, and going through them, the ones I could find, which were mainly Anglia LWT, there is no sign of this show in 1973 to 74. I have looked in every one. All right. But there is mention of 1970 it being the first time and i think the film the earliest i could see mention of that was 74 so it's definitely our our early very pre-teen years and yes. uh, memories of us rather cruelly associating miss witchy poo with a certain sister of ours i i have <laughs> i have got a mention of our sister and uh, stripy tights it's funny that you yes. should mention that <laughs> yes yes one of our sisters yes could have been witchy poo um that was a bit cruel back then, but maybe in about, you know, 30 years or time, so time, she will resemble Witchy Poo, but she doesn't <laughs> at the moment. She's got the legs, but that's about it. Absolutely. Yeah, but I mean, Witchy Poo, yeah, she is the main reason. Um, I'm sure that both you, me and uh, anybody else that does remember this show remembers it. It is because of Witchy Poo. Um, it is because of Seymour the Spider, who we'll be talking about soon, and especially for me, uh, Orson, the strange, straggly vulture thing. <laughs> and I think I think with this show, I think this show is a, similar to like the Disney and Warner Brother cartoons is the bad guys are always far more interesting than, than the good guys, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, uh, really, my memory, three characters stand out for me. I think Jack Wilde, because we really weren't used to seeing an English kid starring in an American show. Mm-hmm. witchy poo for all of everything Billy Hayes did with that character and for some reason it's stupid bat that I remember the most more than Orson, more than Seymour and given that he's not in it that much I think his character just resonated with me, I found something of myself in stupid bat I reckon <laughs> well I was going to ask the question because on Christmas day you said oh stupid bat and, and the name rang a bell but it's like stupid bat and um, of course he he had is here in this very first episode but uh, yeah well I'm, I'm glad you've answered that question of why stupid bat was so special to you <laughs> it does say something isn't it that you can relate to a stupid bat and i can relate to this hunchbacked strange straggly vulture you know well, and, I, and, I, and both I of guess... us can see our sister in the witch <laughs> and i think the whole uh you you awesome me stupid bat it comes back to that whole chalk and cheese nature of me and you and i was thinking if eric was to start this podcast saying so how would you describe yourself for me the difference between me and you i was listening to podcast 53 was it blake seven yes um yeah. when you and i sat and watched blake seven as kids you had a natural affinity to avon um yep. i'd be fair to say you wanted to be him I had his haircut for sure. You did, you did, and I, I seem to remember some of his mannerisms. Uh, whereas I loved Villa, not least because he looked very much like the lead singer of the Darts, who were my favourite band at the time. <laughs> and that that probably shows the contrast in our characters. And and you, Orson, me, stupid bat. How's that? Yeah, and of course, if we're making an analogy to Blake Seven, then our sister was definitely Serverland. <laughs> in many ways. There you go. All right. Okay. That's the preamble out of the way. Let's get on to the clip and then we'll get into this episode, shall we? Yeah, great. Let's do it. Witchy Poo, look. Puff and Stuff and Jimmy are heading toward the castle. You'll soon have your golden flute. 
no fun when it's this easy. I've got a job for stupid back. Keep an eye on the picture. All right, if I can stay up late and watch the scary movie. Okay, and if you're real good, I'll bring you back a roach beef sandwich. <laughs> stupid back, I want to talk to you. Stand right side up. I am right side up. You're upside down. Oh, never mind you, ding-a-ling. I want you to go out into the forest to keep an eye open for Puffin Stuff and Jimmy. The right chief, the right chief, the right chief. Uh, say, which eye should I keep open, the right or the left? Oh, no questions, dummy. Now go. I'm off. <laughs> right, so every week you had the opening credits, which I always think just go on far, far too long. Um, every week they tell the same tale every week of how Jimmy ends up on Living Island and how Witchy Poo covets his magic flute, doesn't it? Yeah, and of course you get the further bizarreness that every week we saw that, yet when the movie came out a year later, the whole first act was actually telling that story in far greater detail. <laughs> well, you'd expect it to be the other way around, wouldn't you? Yes, you would think. You would think, but no, no, not here. Um, so, yeah, we have the opening credits, um, which also has that insanely catchy theme song, <laughs> which I've always thought it sets out right away what this show is all about, because, you know, the whole once upon a summertime, just a dream from yesterday. It's a nursery rhyme, really, isn't it? The, it is. The, it, the whole sing-songy thing, it's a nursery rhyme. Yes, it's a nursery rhyme that then turns into something very different. And uh, and I don't know if you're hitting in behind the scenes, the whole Paul Simon bit on this. I was going to mention it just now, but obviously you know, yeah, so off, but, off you go, Kevin. Yeah, so uh, the comparison was made between this and 59th Bridge Street song, Feeling Groovy, uh, to the point that... that Legal action, uh, court found in favour. So Paul Simon actually has uh, co-writing credits for this theme tune. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> Which it's I'm ridiculous. sure is a highlight of his career. Yeah, I mean, it does sound vaguely like it. I wouldn't say it was a complete rip-off. It's the chorus that he's talking about, isn't it? Absolutely, um, but, but they're not short on plagiarism on this show. There's There's... Another song where uh, one of the episodes where Jimmy is a beggar going up to the castle and dressed almost exactly like the Artful Dodger. And you can just hear the song is Consider Yourself with whole new words put in there. <laughs> Bless them. Bless them. Yes. Right. OK, so here we are. This is episode one of the um of of the series we've there'd already been a pilot of on on how jimmy got to the island but this is episode one and it starts with jimmy at hr puff and stuffy's hat can't even say it hr puff and stuff's house now i don't know about you but i've never cared for puff and stuff he's just too nice and he's just not funny yeah um and he wears that um, cowboy boots and the cowboy hat and he's um, got the southern drool as well hasn't he yeah yeah well apparently the one of the original plans for this show was for it to be a bit of a a, a mickey take off westerns mm. um and that lasted into the creation of puff and stuff character but then i think they kind of abandoned that and just uh we just have to accept that he is a cowboy mare uh dragon Yes. Yeah, there's some sense in there somewhere, but no drops yeah. were taken in the writing of this series. No, according to the uh, creators, 
nowhere ever. Right. Mm. Mm. All right. Well, he was voiced by the show's writer, Lenny Weinrib, um, who also did Orson and Stupid Bat. Yeah. Um, I th- I think there were only three voice actors on the whole series, uh, and, and Lenny did the vast majority. Um, and quite a lot of other things as well, uh, so, so I read. He was the voice of Inch High, Private High, would you believe? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, so there's a, you could say there's a bit of HR puff and stuff in, in both of us if I'm Orson and you're stupid bat. Mm-hmm, most definitely. Yeah. So he basically, he's a man in a big suit, all right? <laughs> mm. um, which is fine, which is fine. Um, I, don't, I, I don't care for the character, um, but whatever. But then we, get our, we do get our first special effect rather than the pra- practical effect of Puff and stuff. Uh, Freddy the Talking Flute. <laughs> Bless him. Now, what are your thoughts on Freddy the Talking Flute? Because back then I couldn't stand him and I can't stand him now. <laughs> he was uh, incredibly annoying, but without him, why would Witchy Poo really care about Jimmy and invade every episode. So, a necessary evil, I like to think. Yeah, yeah, he was necessary. Um, and as I say, he is our first special effect. He's a rubber flute, basically, with some sort of wire mechanism inside to open and close his mouth. Yes, indeed. Uh, levered wires, apparently, so you wouldn't like to see the, the puppeteers crouching underneath Jimmy on every one of those scenes. There you go. I want to see behind-the-scenes photos of this where you've got some grip, you know, <laughs> laying down with his <laughs> hand-up Jack Wild shirt operating a flute sticking out of his pocket. <laughs> and I've had a good look round. I've not found any. I've found one with puff and stuff with his head off. Um, oh, well, I haven't of- seen that one. Yeah, I'll, I'll pass it across to you in case you want to put it yeah. on the Facebook page. Yeah, um, sure. I've I've got a really great one of which he put on the Vroom Broom, but nothing of Freddy being operated. No, no, no. Okay, so here we go. We've we've had two of the fan, fantastical characters. We've had HR Puff and stuff, and we've had Freddy the Flute, both of which I don't like. Next one's along. Really didn't like these either. You got Kling and Clang. <laughs> what who, are they? I don't know what they're meant to be. They, they, they've almost got like bird beaks, haven't they? Yes, but there, there's something quite almost sinister about their faces. Hmm. Hmm. And it's plainly obvious that that they're small people providing comedy. And this is 14 years before the Ewoks in Return of the Jedi, but they're <laughs> fulfilling the same role. They even walk the same way. They even run the same way. Yeah, yeah, um, and these were professional actors, so uh, I, I assume the director <laughs> told them to go incredibly over the top with their hand gestures. Um, yeah, there's, there is a lot of hand gestures all the way through this show. There really is. Yeah, like I say, professional actors. Mm-mm. But uh, um, just coming back to Puff and stuff for a mo, Rick, I think one of the interesting things with him is if you watch his arms versus his mouth, so you've clearly got the actor in most scenes where Puff and Stuff talks. His hands are inside Puff and Stuff's mouth, going up and down to make him yes. talk. Yes, yes. Other scenes where hand movements are needed, he doesn't tend to talk. But there are occasional scenes. And this one in his cave, there is a short bit where he speaks and gesticulates. And actually, I think it's done fairly well, because I've had a good look to see if, can you see the second puppeteer anywhere? And you just can't. All right. So 
a first hats off for a special effect for that bit, if I may. Okay, okay, fine. Right, so Kling and Clang are going to take Jimmy to Dr. Blinky's castle. Mm-hmm. Um, and while they set off, and before he gets there, we cut to Witchy Pooh's castle. And this is where I start paying interest, because up till now it's like, yeah, whatever. But Witchy Pooh's castle, um, you see it in a long shot. And here, our very first view of it, it's a tabletop miniature with a bit of dry ice around it. And yeah, dry, <laughs> dry ice that seems to appear in some scenes and not appear in others. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I like it. I like I like the look of it and everything. I But I'm thinking that the look of it and the colours also in it, I'm guessing maybe it would be creepy for small children. Yes. I don't, Definitely I, sinister about it, isn't I, it? I, I don't know if it would be creepy, you know, for the three, four-year-old four you when you saw it compared to like a four-year-old child now. I don't think a four-year-old child now would be creep, creeped out in the slightest. No, but, but I, I seem to remember the castle, elements of Witchy-Poo and the two castle guards did have something of an effect on me, it made me slightly uncomfortable. And when you look at those two guards now, you think, oh, mm. God, how, how could anyone have... <laughs> but yeah, it certainly had an effect on me. The, the castle, let's face it, we're on Living Island, everything's alive, so to have a living castle that Witchy Poos clearly has a bit of a, an issue with. Uh, yes. A castle with an attitude problem is fantastic. Okay. Right, so we're going to cut inside, and as we do that, we, we get her trademark laughter, don't we? <laughs> don't we just. <laughs> so we get her maniacal laughter, and we're inside. We've got Witchy Poo, we've got Orville, and we've got Seymour. Seymour. And as I say, the bad guys in this... Fantastic. This is what I remember about the show. If these guys weren't in it, or they weren't as good as this, I don't think I would have remembered the show at all. Absolutely agree with you. Absolutely agree. Hmm. So, <laughs> again, this has come up before on this show, is it's not really fair to compare something that you're, you're looking at now on DVD on a big plasma telly, you know, compared to what we used to watch on a tiny little, you know, twelve-inch screen or something with terrible, terrible picture reception. Um, but it's very obvious here when you see a close-up of Billy Hayes, you know, as Witchy Poo. Her makeup looks very crude now, doesn't it? It does, but it's kind of pantomime crude, like. It, it was intentionally crude. Look at the, the difference in colour between her face and her neck, and you can see where the makeup ends, and yeah. it, it is that. It, it's almost a send-up of, of villains, isn't it? A, a parody of Wizard of Oz, if you like. Pantomime's a very good word. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, you know, her nose is a totally different colour to the rest. <laughs> Those bushy eyebrows don't look realistic in the slightest. And the, the clearly strap-on chin. Oh, yeah, yeah, the chin as well. I mean, but but on the other hand, if you did try to make a witch with a nose like that and a chin like that and eyebrows like that and try and make her realistic, that wouldn't be suitable for a children's show. This is for, you know, preschool-aged children, basically, isn't it? Yeah, and I was thinking about this before this podcast. I think this is possibly a first for your show in that here we have a blatant kids TV program where everything about it, the sets, the special effects are cartoon like. Mm. And you can't look at 
the cardboard trees, for instance, and criticise that as a special effect because it's lampooning that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, she is. She is like a cartoon version of the Wicked Witch from Wizard of Oz, isn't she? She's lampooning it, and it is a cartoon extrapolation of what you saw in Wizard of Oz. Yeah, definitely. And and I think the, the Croft brothers loved the film, uh, and this is a bit of an homage whilst also being a... Uh, slightly sarcastic version of it if you watch the trailer for the movie it actually gets referred to as the greatest musical extravaganza since the wizard of oz (laughs) so they want to draw links with it but never take themselves too seriously in doing so which is fantastic yeah it certainly is and witchy she's definitely my favorite as i say orville is my second i just love the look of orville i love his He's he's just tatty, you know. He's got feathers going absolutely everywhere. He's got the googly eyes that you know. <laughs> he seems to shake his head a lot as well, which makes his eyes just keep googling all the time. Um, and then we've got Seymour, Seymour the spider. And in this uh, first episode, I was looking at his eyes every time he appeared. I was looking at his eyes, and I, I was thinking, are they sparkly eyes? Or are they illuminated <laughs> somehow? And I couldn't tell from this episode, but I've watched a couple more. And I think they are illuminated. They, they, there's actually some sort of torch behind the lenses of his eyes. Absolutely agree with you. I, I, I think they're lit, most definitely. Hmm. Hmm. So the there they are. thing as well, Rick, when you say about Orson, um, apparently the, the, the young lady that played Orson was the only non-professional amongst the little people in this whole series. And I agree with you, out of all of the characters in terms of the the one that's most comical and you can fall in love with her the most, it is Orson the Vulture. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. you know, full tribute to her that, that this this little lady who kind of applied for it just on a whim and got the part managed to, to steal the show in terms of the, uh, the, the animal characters. She certainly did for me, definitely. And so, yeah, I, I love this bit. I, you know, it's fantastic. But unfortunately, we've got to cut back to the good guys. And um, mm. Jimmy and co, they're going through the living trees that you've mentioned. Now, as you say, some of them are basic cardboard cutouts. And some of them are blokes in tree costumes. Um, that Now, when they speak, they have what we would consider now pretty over racial stereotypes going on. Mm. But back then, it's a uh, high comedy. You've got Jack Wilde laughing his head off. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I think this is first of two times in this episode with, with the winds coming later where you watch it now and you're somewhat uncomfortable with the racial stereotyping, whereas back those back, back then, us, us kids would have maybe got the joke and maybe laughed along with it. But there is that. A bit like we see in modern day animation, uh, when The Simpsons came out, it was superficially aimed at kids, but there was the sideways humour for adults. And mm. that exists in Puff and stuff. Things like yeah. these were aimed yeah. at adult laughs, weren't they? Oh, well, this this show is only, you know, three years or so um, after the uh, Batman TV series, which, you know, really was what you're saying there. You know, a show for two on two levels for two different groups of uh, people. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, we have the trees. They get to Dr. Blinky's. Now, Dr. Blinky's house um, looks to be a full-size set. But it's a full-size set, but it does move, and it does wobble. 
as it's preparing mm. to sneeze, which I thought was pretty impressive for such a show that they've gone to the trouble of making a full-size house that's on some sort of gimbal or there are people inside that are actually moving the house around. Yeah, it um, it's, it's very foamish. Mm. Um, like you say, they could have they could have done a cut scene for the movement at the house and cut back again and used miniatures. So kudos to them for that. One thing I want to know about Doctor Blinky's house is why is his door so short? <laughs> when you see them walk in, and even Jack Wild has to bend double to yeah. get in. Yet when they stand next to Doctor Blinky, Doctor Blinky is about the same height as Jack Wild. So why would a tall bird have a small door? I think you're thinking too much, Kevin. I think you're right. Yeah. All right. Well, he, the house is preparing to sneeze. When it does sneeze, we've got another tabletop miniature, which is done very well. Uh, but you're absolutely right. They could have used that tabletop miniature for, you know, uh, the shot, you know, just an establishing shot of the house. Uh, but they didn't. They've gone to the trouble of making a full-size house. So, you know, kudos to them. Um, but as you say, they go inside and they meet Dr. Blinky. I could never stand Dr. Blinky. Just could not abide him. Um, Who? <laughs> oh, I'm very sorry. Good. The scene still makes me laugh as a 51-year-old, the, the, the whole Who uh, gag. Yeah, oh dear. All right. <laughs> but, okay, the gag's good, but no, he's got a te- it's a terrible design. And the main problem I've got with Dr. Blinky is that voice, Okay. Now, it was done by a guy by the name of Walker Edmonston, okay, who I've never heard of, but he was doing an impersonation. You said earlier, you know, about impersonations. Mm. Um, This factors a lot, and we'll be talking about that soon, um, that it was a mainstay of this show that you would have vocal impersonations of famous people at that time, okay? And this Walker guy... Is doing an impersonation of a, a guy called Ed Wynn, who I cannot stand Ed Wynn. Sorry for any <laughs> Ed Wynn fans out there, but even when I was little, I found his voice deeply, deeply irritating. He was the Mad Hatter in Disney's Alice in Wonderland. That sure. was deeply irritating. And he's some eccentric boffin in Mary Poppins. And I couldn't stand him. I can't stand the guy, right? And this guy is copying that guy. So Dr. Blinky, for me, is a strict no-no. Again, a necessary character for the plot to happen sometimes. Without him, some of their amazingly clever techniques uh, just wouldn't have happened. But yeah, I, I agree. As I remember him, I really didn't like him very much. I prefer him now as an adult watching it than I did as a child. Okay, all right, we'll have to agree to disagree on that. But (laughs) Blinky says that Judy the Frog, here we are, Judy the Frog knows of a secret path off of Living Island. Now, I'm sure when I was, you know, eight or whatever, when I was watching this, I'd go, ooh, a secret path off of Living Island. But the grown-up me goes, a path off of an island. (laughs) It's not an island then, is it? a magic path, Rick, a magic path. He never said magic path. He said path. I think the sign says magic path. Oh, okay. All right. All right. I'll take Let's that bit back. that one. <laughs> okay. But uh, Judy the Frog knows where it is, but she's in Witchy Pooh's dungeon. So they've got to go off and rescue her from the dungeon. Yep. And uh, 
Dr. Blinky, he gives Jimmy and Puff and Stuff a potion to protect them from Witchy Poo's spells. And uh, off they amble to the castle. Okay, um, th- this is where we really need to stop and say, in various episodes in this series, they introduce something that exists. They try it once, it doesn't work. It never gets mentioned again. <laughs> if you've got a potion that can stop Witchy Poo spells, why don't you use it for the rest of the series and get him off the island? Because then you wouldn't have a show. <sighs> See, you're thinking yes. too much again. <laughs> this is 51-year-old me analysing, isn't it? Yes, it I'll move on. It is. I'll move, move on. on. Can I just move. pay kudos, please, while we're here, to the living features within Dr. Blinky's house, the skull, the candle, the books, the test tubes, really brilliant. Okay, that amateur special effects for us adults looking at it now, but did they work at the time? I found all these so enchanting that that just hooked me. I like the idea that, you know, that somebody had the job of creating all these things. You can't just go down to the local shop and buy these things off the shelf. Somebody had the job of designing and creating all these things. And you're right. The the things that you see in here, you could possibly see in a Disney, you know, cartoon. You know, if you've got a wizard in a, in, in his laboratory or something, you would see things like this. You know, you've got the, the talking clock and things like that that Disney do. I mean, it, it's very similar to that, isn't it? But this is a 3D real object. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think they were quite brave and groundbreaking to do it. And the series overall groundbreaking as well. I, I think if you look at this series in context of the time, um, what did kids TV look like? It was cartoons. Mm. cartoons cartoons and violent cartoons and this was seen as kind of an antidote to that yeah so you know to be so bright and colorful other than witchy poo's behavior non-violent <laughs> um yeah it it, it it was it it set the tone for so many kids programs that come after it but not necessarily on a special effects front I was just about to say, you know, cartoons that are violent, because the next thing, Orson spots them approaching on his nifty periscope device, and we have violence, because Witchy Poo seems to preface anything that she says to Orson or Seymour with a whack of her uh, magic wand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, apparently um, TV company actually asked originally for that to be taken out because of this thing about it, it being a big step away from violent cartoons. Um, right. But obviously so grateful they kept it in because that kind of slapstick comedy uh is what makes the show not sure i would have wanted to have been the actress who played orson (laughs) because apparently in the very early days that wand was made of steel right i didn't know that but yeah yeah Mm. see what you mean do you think maybe that's why we've got the comedy twang noise on it um you know just to you know take the edge off of it a bit and because uh, it's like a tom and jerry twang isn't it you know when she hits him yeah i think you're right a, a bit like wiley coyote and the over the top violence but by, by making it so unreal it's yes. saying to kids this isn't actually violence well you, you know there's a precedent before that you go back to the lauren hardy shorts you know you, know, you look <laughs> at them now they are incredibly violent and if you tried doing that to a real person you would kill them or you put them in hospital you know yeah, absolutely absolutely Okay, right. So, yeah, she, she's she's so angry all the time. She 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 goes from maniacal laughter to anger in an instant. Um, and yeah, she stomps off because she's going in to enlist the aid of uh, your favourite stupid bat. Hey, my man. 
Yeah, so she... <laughs> I never My thought anybody would, would react to the word <laughs> stupid bat like that. Thank you, Kevin. Um, so she comes out of her... Here we've got the full-size castle now. She comes stomping out through the, the, the portcullis bit, which is the mouth of the living castle, uh, to where stupid bat's hanging upside down, isn't he? Yes. Or is he? Or is he? Because, yes, I mean, this is the clip, you know, that uh, we've just played is, uh, yeah, she said, why are you hanging upside down? And he says, no, it's you who's upside down because he is a stupid bat. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, so so she she gives him his mission. And I, 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 I don't remember this episode. I had you know when you said about this I, I thought right we'll start with episode number one and we'll see just what it was like at the beginning and i don't remember this episode and i was watching this and when he takes off that is the most unconvincing flying takeoff i've ever seen and i was on the floor laughing <laughs> <laughs> but the question is can you see the wire I can't see the wire. That's what I was just about to say. For 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 all the crapness of it, because basically mm. he just sticks his arms out and he takes off. His legs are completely rigid, and he just takes off with a da -da 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 -da, <laughs> and he goes. And I showed it to our youngest. I said, "Yeah, you know, come and have a look at this." And she's in love with that scene. She she wants me to play it to her all the time. Just that bit of him taking off. But knowing your youngest, she's as enamoured with Witchy Poos' overdramatic freeze pose yes. as she is with Stupid Bat. <laughs> Indeed. Because Billy Hayes could just takes advantage of the Witchy Poo character to just be as over the top as she wants to be in every episode. Yeah. Uh, well, she's in orbit. She's so over the top, isn't she? <laughs> yeah. So, as you say, the castle is kind of sarcastic. Uh, Witchy Poo talks to the full-size castle and... Um, uh, it it talks back to her in miniature form. So she will talk to the full-size castle, but then we've got the tabletop talking back to her, don't we? Yes, indeed. Moving eyes, moving portcullis, the lot going on. Yeah, and I was looking at it, and the castle entrance that is the mouth, which moves, it looks to me to be a piece of foam that's open and closed by a hand, you know, that's behind mm. there, opening and closing it. So I thought, well, if that door, the mouth, is about fist size, I reckon that castle model has got to be about a foot or so tall, I think. Yeah. Um, I would say between a foot and two foot. What 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 I can't say with any confidence, when they, when they did the movie, bigger budget, and, and certain things were redone, like Puff and Stuff's head, etc., and I know I've, I found stuff about the foam version of this castle for the movie. Right. What I can't say is whether that was just for the movie or it is this one going forward, but it's actually the guys that created Bruce the Shark. Right, okay. So, I, that, so this that, is the early credit for them. <laughs> now, that's not a nugget that I came across. Now, there, there, and I can't remember his name, the, one of the people that worked on Bruce the Shark also worked for Disney on 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. He, he worked on The Lost Continent. It's a Hammer film. And I wonder if it's him as well. I'll, I'll have to um, IMDB him and see if he did have a hand in this. He might have been the hand in it. You never know. Um... Uh, yeah, that would be interesting if there's a connection there. Yeah. Well, no, apparently the two guys—you you can tell I've—I've—I've uh, I've, 
done a bit of reading for this podcast. Um, uh, the, <laughs> you put the, the effort guys, in. Thank you, Kevin. Yeah, absolutely. Don Chandler and Joe Alves were the two blokes. No, that's not. No, that's not him. No. All right, forget uh, that. Apparently, they worked on Bruce and Joe Alves. Also created the City model for one of your favourite films, Escape from New York. Right. Uh, now, now I know the name. Right. Yes. Okay. All right. Oh, so right. well, they they can claim credit for the phone castle in Puff and stuff. There you go. Yeah, and New York in miniature yes. for Escape from New York. Wow, slightly that's a good connection. Oh, cheers for that, Kevin. Um, and I like I like on this this tabletop miniature. I, I like the way that the windows are lit, you know, with real lights, and and the eyes in two of them move, don't they? Yeah. Uh, although I think the eyes in puff and stuff for me are one of the most annoying things that the way the eyes in the castle move the way that they decided every creature's head had to have those eyes that move about that you get in toys yeah that's and what so, i mean the googly eyes yeah yeah, yeah. Wh- why do you do that that was I, just, I think it's just to give it animation i mean if you had just painted ping pong balls for eyes they would just be staring all the time and you never know that might actually you know find children might find that unsettling so having googly eyes moving around like orson's you know um just adds to the comedy i guess yeah yeah i guess so yeah um so yeah we cut back to uh the good guys and um they've been stopped by the evil trees don't they Mm -hmm. yes now the evil trees there's three of them okay evil tree number one um which again was voiced by Lenny Winrib, um, was impersonating Bella Lugosi. Okay. Yep. Evil tree number two is a tree that speaks like Peter Lorre. And evil tree number three is a tree that always speaks in rhyme. Yes. Now, I'm just wondering, back then, you, me, five, six-year-olds, would we ever, would we get that? Or is it one of these things where you know we just think oh that tree's speaking funny and the bella lugosi impersonation is at aim, aimed at the mums and dads it went completely over my head and i look i look now at all the list of this person was an impersonation of that person and i'm not sure other than the west wind being john wayne i'm not sure i got any of them no right. See, you, you you weren't a big horror film fan, were you? Not classic horror. Um, no, no, certainly no, so... nowhere near what what you were and are, Rick. No, okay, all right. So yeah, I think this is aimed at the mums and dads who were sit sat there watching with their kiddies, you know. Yeah, um, definitely. But a, another classic staple of this show and something that's been stuck in my head all these years is we've then got witchy poo who goes off in her zoom broom ah uh, my favorite i love the boom room broom right yeah it's it's a nifty jet powered broomstick it's got a sidecar and umbrella and um <laughs> it's it's just it's some again somebody had to come up with the idea of this somebody had to design this and then somebody in a workshop had to make it you know and out of all of the effects in this episode and the series rick this is what i've tried the most to find out more about because i love the broom broom and like you say someone's designed this can i can i track down who it was no um Do I love the design of it? It's so kooky. There's one question I've got about the Vroom Broom that 
if anybody listening can answer, I'd really love to know. On the sidecar, which, let's face it, is a bathtub, <laughs> there, there are some decals of a winged thing. And I don't think you ever get a crystal clear shot of what this furball with wings is. But I'd love to know, did they just create that from scratch or did they lift that from somewhere? What does that decal mean on the sidecar of the Vroom Vroom? Well, anybody out there, can, can you answer? If you can answer, um, pop along to our um, uh, Facebook page and, uh, and, and, and let us know because, uh, yeah, my brother wants to know. <laughs> in terms of design I, I think it's awesome first and foremost it is a broom and everything else is built around it yeah. um we've got the extending kind of chicken vulture feet landing gear yeah um with one on the front that that very handily seymour can cling on to so that seymour and orson can go out with witchy poo yeah. uh we've got those underslung rockets i've managed to find out that there was uh, a TV Guide episode in, in, I think, back in 71 that did a double-page picture spread on the Vroom Vroom. Right. Um, and I've got photos of it, which, again, I'll send across to you, Rick. Um, cool. Apparently, within the text, this thing was mainly still tubing and literally weighed half a ton. Blimey. Blimey. So I, I thought maybe she was up on wires or something, but I don't think so. She must be on blocks. They must have raised it up off the ground a little bit. Um, and it's on blocks or something, but yeah, because you wouldn't hang that from wires. Oh hell no! Now this this broom of hers, right? Um, along with Witchy Poo and especially Witchy Poo's tights, um, are clearly an inspiration for a series of books that our children loved when they were little, and they still love them now. It's a it's a series of children's books called Winnie the Witch. Okay. Okay. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I can't say I am. Uh, afterwards google winnie the witch and it is clearly witchy poo clearly witchy poo's broom and witchy poo's stripy tights okay after the show have a look all right so she goes down to the ground she freezes them and she takes them to her dungeon okay um and then we have now i had completely forgotten that the show was a semi-musical because we have an awful song next <laughs> from from Master Wild, don't we? Yeah. Do you want to say anything yeah. about that? <laughs> um, not about the song, most definitely not. But I, th- I think we need to look at this in the timing of when it was made, considering that Oliver had just come out. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Crofts managed to sign up Jack Wilde. They they spotted him from an early uh, pre-production screening of Oliver, so they managed to snap him. So I think, I don't know whether it was always intended to be semi-musical or whether they thought, well, hang on a minute, we've got this lad who's now a global star mm. in this musical film. If we get him singing in this, we're likely to up the audience. We'll have some of that, yeah. It could be that, or it could be that his agent says, uh, yeah, he's interested in it, but we've got to have music in it, because it was his, actually his agent trying to you, you know, push him forward as an actor and an all-round variety person. You know, It could be something like that. Yeah, it could be. And I actually don't mind the musical numbers, except when Puffin Stuff sings. 
<laughs> because someone decided that he would be operatic when he sings. Mm. So we've got a cowboy dragon who sings like an opera, opera star. star. Mm. Not good. Well, all these songs you're talking about, you know, this one here and all the others, they all pale for me into insignificance compared to Witchy Poo's stunning Oranges <laughs> Porringes, okay? Because nothing rhymes with oranges, um, but also nothing is as good as Witchy Poo singing Oranges Porringes, nothing rhymes with oranges. Oranges, oranges, who said? Oranges, oranges, who said? Oranges, oranges, who said? There ain't no rhyme for oranges. Oranges, oranges, there's another one. Oranges, oranges, there's another one. Oranges, oranges, there's another one. Another rhyme for oranges. Uh, and right now, there's probably some listeners thinking, what is he talking about? So please <laughs> go onto YouTube and Google it and watch the three of them perform this song. Yes. Please. Do yourself a favour. As grim <laughs> as the world is right now, we need oranges, porringes, you know, every so often to just uh, lift our spirits, okay? And every time you're saying those two words, all I can hear is her singing the line in my head. <laughs> okay but uh yeah so right okay we've now got judy the frog here here, here we are here's another <sighs> female character it's someone in a frog costume dressed in what looks like liza minnelli's cabaret sparkly clobber isn't it and bloody hell she's annoying <sighs> um she reminds me of Bo selector <laughs> yeah her, in her mannerisms everything and She's so over the top and annoying. Plus, she gets to sing into a microphone that's not plugged in anywhere. Hmm. Hmm. But, but yes. again, you're you're thinking too much. All these songs, they they start singing. Where's all the music coming from? I mean, you're uh, you can't get hung up on why isn't the mu uh, microphone plugged in? Where's the bloody music coming from? <laughs> <laughs> and how does she know the words to to Jimmy's song? But yeah, yeah there I, you go. Much as you don't like Dr. Blinky, I think if I could have had any one of the characters assassinated with a sniper rifle, it would have been Judy the Frog. Yeah, there you go. I agree. Okay. Well, they use Freddy's high frequencies uh, to break the bars and escape, don't they? Yeah, and those bars shatter, don't they? They do. They do. But they escape. Witchy Poo runs down to their cell and tells the really rather good talking door that's there um, to open Sesame. To which he says, uh, I'm called Lester. So she goes, open Lester, and he opens the door. That little exchange with the door and everything, for some reason, made me think of Labyrinth, okay? Which okay. is a similar type thing. You've got a film where you have a, a, an adolescent going into a world which is rather bizarre, where things are alive, like talking doors, blah, blah, blah. And I'd never made the connection before until she started talking to that door called Lester. And that reminded me of when Sarah in Labyrinth is talking to the door knockers and trying to work out which door to go through. And it's like, yeah, Labyrinth is a bit like HR <laughs> Puff and stuff. You know, I'd never thought about that before. It'd be interesting, though, if that was in any way done as a tribute to, to Lester. Could be. I have to. I have to look at the end credits and say, yeah, you know, special thanks to Lester the door. Yeah, because contrary to what Witchy Poo says, some people do like a smart door. There you go. <laughs> so we have a quick cutaway to the miniature castle, and then we get Witchy Poo's guards that you were talking about earlier. 
Mm. Which now, as I say, in HD on a big telly, it's even more apparent. It's just some people in black leotards with skeleton bits stuck on top. Not very well. Not very well done. No. (laughs) And what would you say, though, that skeleton, the bones and skull were made out of, Rick? It's foam. It's some sort of foam. I'm sure of it. It, it. It's got to be foam. It's got to be light. If it's anything like resin or anything, it would pull on the leotard and you would have a problem. No, that's some sort of foam. And, and there seems to be this obsession with foam in this yeah. show. Um, I was I was thinking when I was re-watching earlier, that end scene you get every time with the Boyds doing the closing song. Yeah. And they have a foam drum kit, a foam saxophone. And you think, mm. surely it would have been quicker and probably cheaper to just give them a saxophone and a drum kit. But no, <laughs> it had to be made of foam. And it, it just seems like foam was the default special effect resource in this show. Maybe, you know, the the show's makers, you know, they had an, another brother who owned a foam factory or something. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But after that, we get a very unusual shot. It's a long shot of the castle. Uh, with a winding path down the hill that ends in the live-action tree set. Um, and so that obviously is a, a, a model or something of the castle on set. You've got the, all the trees, and in the background, you've got a, a hill with a tree on the top. Very unusual. I, I can't remember ever seeing that shot ever again. No, I think you're right, and, and this is where continuity absolutely goes out, out the window. There's at least three different times when you see the castle where you see it is in a completely different place and (laughs) you know on this occasion you have this winding ravine leading up to it or in another episode you'll get jimmy and puff and stuff walking through a wooded area up to the castle doors other times it looks like it's almost on an island all on its own so yeah this Mm. one is really bizarre yeah, but they're catering for small children who most probably don't remember the last episode, and certainly aren't going to watch them, you know, back to back, like like we have been doing. Yeah, and this thought was going through my head. I think maybe makers of sci-fi horror films in the old days might have, might have sat and pondered and thought maybe in years to come people will critically analyse this. Sid and Marty Croft probably didn't think that about Puff and stuff. No, I don't think they did. I don't think they did. And uh, with all due respect, we probably shouldn't be critically analysing it. No, not at all. Uh, what are we doing? Um, we should have picked which, Time Tunnel. Yeah, Time Tunnel <laughs> Tunnel is coming up. Don't worry. Good, um, good. Witchy Poo is back on the Zoom broom, and she's got Orson in the sidecar now. Now, this is how I always remember Orson. Always, you know, just hanging out of that uh, bath, as you say you know on the side absolutely and there's those decals immediately underneath him yeah we'll have to we've got to look into that we've got to answer this uh, query all right judy has taken them to the magic path but witchy poo makes it vanish yeah now big head scratch moment for me here they they mm-hmm. they filmed this on film yes um some special effects they use dry ice, so at Dr. Blinkies, when he mixes the potion. But then when Witchy Poo waves her wand and destroys the magic path, for some reason they use that still drawing of some the zap happening. Yes, yeah. And I'm not quite sure why. Maybe it's cheapness. 
I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but she makes the, the, the path vanish. Um, Puff and Stuff calls on the four winds that we were mentioning earlier. Mm. And I had completely forgotten these. The, the four winds are very bizarre, unsettling, almost cabbage patch style faces that, again, they're made out of foam and, and cloth. It, they're obviously on a painted sky, uh, mounted onto a painted sky with somebody behind that operating their hands, just like, you know, a, a hand puppet. Um, and they're surrounded by all these billowing ribbons and materials. And they, they blow witchy poo back to her castle, don't they? Yeah, and I'm going to guess that whoever created the four wind puppets is not who created everything else because I the was, style to say. it's completely different isn't it rick we'll talk about this in behind the scenes but yeah it it is rather jarring and i've got some screenshots of all four of them and i'm going to put them up on facebook and you're absolutely right they don't look at all like something from a 1970s american children's tv show if anything, they that they they look they they look about like from from something say ten years later. This that that they could be in some like grim dark fantasy film or something. They really are strange looking. Yeah, the only thing I can think possibly is bear in mind that the Puff and Stuff character came ultimately from uh, the Kaleidoscope show that they did at the World Fair in '68, where. Mm. He was a very different dragon to Puff and Stuff when he was Luther. And I'm wondering whether within that show or the show that they toured the world with, these four puppets were used and they're reusing them. That's the only thing I can think of. I don't know. I mean, the World's Fair, you know, that was a proper, you know, family-centric thing, you know. And mm. the and you're absolutely right. It was for a show called Kaleidoscope. Uh, he was called Luther then, but it was for the Coca-Cola Pavilion. I can't see Coca-Cola getting behind something as unsettling <laughs> as, as, yeah, yeah. As, as these four. No, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that, that, yeah, it is jarring. It's like something's been taken from another show, but it's not. It's it's not cute, and it's not in spirit with any. I mean, even even the evil trees. Yeah, they look kind of evil. But they've got that cartooniness about them, them. You know, the same with the castle. But here, they are really quite scary. They're hardcore. They are even, hardcore. We'll talk about them in, in behind the scenes, but even the good ones, pretty darn scary. Yeah, absolutely. So so the theory of six degrees of separation, we're all no more than six people away from anybody else on the planet. So mm. maybe if everybody who listens to this asks everyone they know if they know Sid and Marty Croft and get them to ask everyone maybe we can get Sid and Marty to actually listen to this and uh, post on Facebook and tell us where the hell did these four wins come from please and what is that decal yeah most definitely that please yeah and, okay and, and why Judy the Frog <laughs> why oh why um, so that's pretty much it uh, they blow witchy poo back to her castle and that's us almost at the end of the episode aren't we yeah, um, and we're going to get to scoring shortly, and there's a bit in this scene that's going to affect my scoring, as the Vroom Vroom is being blown backwards. It it switches from a close-up effect of Witchy Poo and Orson on the Vroom Vroom, and then it suddenly goes to this really jarring full uh, full view effect to the Vroom Vroom, 
where it's being blown backwards, yet the smoke is still coming out the back of the rockets where that should yeah. be pulling back. And then the most bizarre bit, Rick, I don't know if you noticed, the Vroom Vroom crashes. We see Witchy Poo crawling out of the hole with Billy Hayes not being able to resist a big old smile on her face. Yeah. And then as you see the broken Vroom Vroom and you see Orson in the background... For some reason, Seymour is lying in the wreckage. Is he? Yeah. Oh, maybe he was in the sidecar. I don't know what he nope. was doing down there. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> there was no sign of him at all. And when you see the full shot of the wreckage, there's no sign of him. But when you see the close-up of Orson, you can clearly see Seymour behind him. Oh, I have to go lying back and look down at that. in the wreckage. Oh, I've got. I've got to go back and have a look at that. Okay. Mm. So right, not I'll do a, good continuity-wise. I'll do a screenshot of that and put that on as well. Mm. All right, so that's the episode over. So we're going to behind the scenes. Now, it's obvious you've done a lot of research um, as well. So feel free to chip in um, as we go, all right? Sure, sure, sure. So I, I thought it's quite apt that this show has got two brothers talking about a two-brother creation. <laughs> Absolutely. Be because it was Sid and Marty Croft. Now... I kind of recognise those names from the credits, but I didn't know much about them until, you know, I started researching this. And I, I wasn't aware, and I'm sure you weren't aware, that they were big-time producers of American children's TV shows in the 60s and 70s. Because I think the only one that we got was H.R. Puffin stuff, wasn't it? I, I've got something in the back of my mind that vaguely remembers something to do with Land of the Lost. But oh, actually, Sigmund and the Sea Monsters, no. The Bugaloos, never heard of it. Yeah, I, I, I looked into what else they did. And that Sigmund and the Sea Monsters, I mean, that was four years later. But you've still got the same creature uh, suit thing going on, haven't you? And, it, and you can go, yeah, that could be on the next island. You know, that could Absolutely. be happening on the next island along. Yeah. Um, as you say, I mean, H.R. Puffin stuff, the dragon was actually called Luther and he was created for this World's Fair in 1968. Um, now, apart from Jimmy and Witchy Poo, all of the characters on Living Island were realised via the costumes we've been talking about or puppetry. Um, um, and you were saying there, I think you preempted me, Jack Wilde. Um, I think he was in this because. We're at the end of the 60s and, and that thing, you know, after the explosion, you know, of British bands into America, you know, like the Stones and the Beatles and everything. Um, anything young and British was cool, wasn't it? And that's why you had like Davy Jones heading up the monkeys. You, you know, he was another uh, Brit child actor that crossed the pond, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Uh, and I think there were a few factors come together to ultimately form Puff and stuff. Like you say, there was Kaleidoscope in 68 with, with Luther the Dragon, um, although a very different looking dragon and, and a very different plot to Puff and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, alongside that, I think it was Marty Croft went over and, and, and saw uh, the early showing of Oliver and, and spotted Jack Wilde and thought, hello. Mm. Um and the, the way it all came about for the Crofts was actually in 68, Hanna-Barbera asked them to create the costumes for the Banana Splits. Mm, yeah. So that was their very first venture into TV. So having done that, uh, NBC liking the look of something like that, 
plus Jack Wilde, plus having Luther at their disposal, all come together in this this perfect little smorgasbord to create HR Puff and stuff. Yeah. I mean, you say Banana Splits. I mean, that is another show, again, that we just turned the TV on and it was there. It's like, what the heck is this? And that was surreal and that was bizarre. But, you know, it, it was massively entertaining, wasn't it? Oh, who from our age? I, I tend to find about... About 30-40% of people my age remember Puff and stuff, but everyone remembers the banana splits. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Crofts, they sued McDonald's for copyright mm. infringement because Mayor Mc- McCheese and Big Mac bore a strong resemblance to HR Puff and stuff, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. So um, the backstory on this is that a third party who were representing mcdonald's actually spoke to sid and marty and said would you be interested if we wanted to create this mcdonald's land and sid Sid and marty gave them their pitch of how they would go about it all of a sudden that third party didn't bother ringing them anymore and bang uh, mcdonald's land appears striking very very close similarities yeah 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 um all right only two actresses actually auditioned to play Witchy Poo. The first was Penny Marshall, which I didn't know at all. You know, Penny Marshall, actress, uh, director. Um, but they felt that she wasn't right for the part. And then Billy Hayes came in. She gave one of those laughs, uh, hopped up on the desk and was given the job on the spot. <laughs> now, I, I, I presume in your research, you've seen photos of what she looks like without the makeup. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very different. You'd walk past her in the street and never realise that was Witchy Poo, would you? I had quite a shock because I saw that photo of her and, and, and here we've got a neighbour and she's an absolute flaming nightmare and she looks just like her. You know, so it's like... <laughs> Maybe she is. So, uh, yeah, I mean, our neighbour could be a witch, but um, this one, you know, <laughs> I would I'd much rather have Witchy Poo living next door. Uh, uh, I hope for your sake that your neighbour doesn't listen to this podcast. Um, I, I, I doubt that very much. All right. Um, yeah, in spite of the show's uh, seeming uh, drug imagery, I mean, you've got all the psychedelia going on. You've got There was an episode predominantly involving magic mushrooms, and you've got a character whose name is basically Puffin Stuff. Yeah, the Crofts, they, they denied there was any drug connection whatsoever. And I, I want to believe them, therefore I choose to believe them. All right, can't say fairer than that. Uh, Coral Kerr was the designer of many of the characters for the Crofts productions. Um, she came up with the idea of Freddy the Flute, so we've got her to blame, um, to be a sort of conscience for Jimmy. Yeah, and in that part, he kind of did a job, but his annoyance outweighed his usefulness in that respect, yeah. I believe. Did you see that... Um, it wasn't until many years later that she found out that the Crofts, they didn't want to use the character for fear it would appear to be too phallic for a television show. No, I hadn't seen that. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and you said earlier, you know, um, unlike many of the shows and many of the Crofts shows, um, this, this was done on film. It wasn't done on videotape, which... I, I think adds a bit more of a sheen to it. I think if it had been on videotape, it, it wouldn't have been so striking, the visuals. Yeah, I agree, I agree. Yeah, all of their subsequent series, they did flick over to videotape. Yeah, and and something that I, I do find, I've always found jarring, is a laughter track. 
Um, <laughs> I don't like laughter tracks, um, and I don't like the laughter track on this. And it's something the Crofts they they were initially against it, but it was put in as it was felt that children wouldn't know when to laugh. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's your cue to laugh. And again, I think you've got to come back to the context of this. This was the break away from all of the cartoons. They were taking so many risks with this mm. that I can absolutely understand why why they would have sat there in a planning meeting and said, let's put it in just so that they know that that's a funny bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, have you got anything more? Because that's my behind the scenes all used up. <laughs> I, I think just a, bit, a couple of bits from me. Um First of all, the whole thing on budget. So, 17 episodes of this recorded. Uh, they had an overall budget of a million dollars, which kind of broke down to $54,000 per episode. And they went massively beyond that. Nice. Um, apparently, at one stage, being $3 million over budget uh, and managing to get it back to just a million dollars over budget at the end, uh, which is why they never made a subsequent series. Uh, right. And also why the final episode, episode 17, is a flashback episode. All they right. had run out of money. <laughs> so if you watch the final episode, the few bits that join up the segments, you'll see there's very minimal special effects being used. Uh, okay. All right. Okay. All right. Well, that's us uh, behind the scene. So we've got to go on to the rating now, mm. when you do your rating, um, it's up to you how you do this, whether you do it as, you know, an amalgam of what you would have given it back then combined with now or whatever, but it's up to you. What What do you reckon on it? I need to be respectful to your podcast, Rick, and I, th I think if I scored it as the boy, Kevin, it would get an artificially high score that in the fullness of time would look a bit odd in your list on your Facebook page. Right. So I think the best thing to do is for me to go, okay, as a boy, what would I have given this? This was cartoon live action, um, and I was spellbound by it. I would have given this an 8 out of 10 as a boy. As an adult, I look at it, <laughs> love it for its flaws, uh, but recognize that things like cardboard trees uh Although we couldn't see the, the, the wires on Stupid Bat, we certainly could when Witchy Poo got knocked down by the rescue racer. Mm -hmm. I would probably give it a 3 out of 10 for that. Right. So if I can come in overall and, and say, can I give it a 5, please, oh brother of mine? Absolutely you can, because that's exactly what I've given it. Fantastic. I should yeah, do this because, more often. Yeah, I mean, if, like you say, it's tough. I mean, it's a children's show, Plus, you've got a lot of nostalgia and there's the sentimentality that goes with it. But uh, when you look at what was achieved, you know, uh, yeah, no, no it, it's still a lot of fun. So, yeah, I'm, I'll give it a five because that means it's average. OK. Yeah. And apparently a couple of times there's been mentions of remaking the movie. Right. Um, most recently, 2008, when would you believe they, they were talking Justin Bieber for the part of Jimmy. <laughs> and I just hope they never, ever remake this show or movie because it's a late 60s semi-psychedelic attempt at real life cartoon and yeah. i just think if they tried remaking it it would lose all its charm it's a snapshot of the time definitely isn't it absolutely okay all right okay i think i think that's where we'll leave it on that uh 
very eloquently put uh, comment there, Kevin. Okay, so, right, well, thank you very much for tonight. Thank you for having me. And, uh, yes, yes, everybody out there, um, if you know anything <laughs> about this decal, if you know anything about, you know, all these questions we've been raising throughout, please drop by Facebook and uh, and let us know, okay? Right, Kevin, I'll bid you adieu, all right? Thank you, bro. I'll see you Christmas Day. <laughs> all right. Cheers, Kevin. Cheers, Rick. Bye. Bye-bye. H.R. Puffin' Step, push your friend when things get rough. H.R. Puffin' Step, can't do a little cause he can't do enough. Once upon a summertime, just a dream from yesterday, a boy in this magic golden flute heard a boat from on the bay. Come and play with me, Jimmy, come and play with me, and I will take you on a trip far across the sea. Belonged to a cookie or witch who had in mind the flute to snitch. From her broom broom in the sky, she watched her plans materialize. She waved her wand, the beautiful boat was gone. The skies grew dark, the sea grew rough, and the boat sailed on and on and on and on and on and on. But Puffin' Stuff was watching too and knew exactly what to do. He saw the witch's bold attack and as the was fighting back. He called his rescue racer crew as often they'd rehearsed and off to save the boy they flew. But who would get there first? But, but now the boy had washed ashore. Puff arrived to save the day which made the witch so mad and sore. She shook her fist and screamed away. H.R. Puff and Stuff Who's your friend 